0: My name is Terrell Jermaine Starr, host of Black Diplomats, the dopest foreign policy podcast on the planet. Today, we're talking about what black liberation looks like for transgender black women globally, and we have some very special guests to help us break that down. In Kenya, we have Audrey Mgwa, a transgender activist who is Fighting for liberties in her own in her home country, including healthcare services, access to freedom of expression in media, and other human rights issues. Out of South Africa, we have Ricky Kositale. She is executive director of the international NGO Accountability International, which has a global team in Belgium, Kenya, Sweden, and South Africa. Accountability Internationals work uses evidence and research as a base to hold various leaders accountable on human rights, global health, and global development uh, commitments. And last but not least, we have my fellow colonized American and and, and, and you know a Negro in arms, Diamond Styles, um, <laughs> one of the premier voices of the trans Black community. Currently, Diamond is executive director of Black Trans Women Inc., a national nonprofit that is led by Black trans women focused on social advocacy, economic equity, and building strong leadership among Black trans women. Also, she is the host and producer of Marshall's Plate, a weekly podcast that archives and centers the trans social justice movement's and pro-black feminist culture. Welcome to the show, y'all. How you doing?
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Definitely happy to have y'all here. And um, I saw you, Ricky, giving me a little shout out by saying your name correctly. I feel connected to the roots already. Thank you. So, <laughs> so um, I already introduced y'all, but I'm just going to open up by having y'all to give an extended introduction to my audience about what you all do in your respective countries and about yourselves and things that we all to you know. Some, just a few minutes to talk about, you know, who we, what we should know about you. And so um, I'll start with Audrey. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Audrey. I
1: live in Kenya. Uh, Kenya is on the Eastern side of Africa. I am a transgender woman that is male to female, transgender. I, I am a researcher working with the transgender community here in Kenya. My work involves uh, undertaking research initiatives uh, so that uh, we are able to use um, evidence in our advocacy and uh, litigation work. I work with the Transgender Education and Advocacy, which is an NGO. It's an international NGO registered here in Kenya. It's an international, the first international trans-led, transgender-led NGO in Africa, registered in Kenya. Uh, our other work involves, uh, on top of media and research, involves uh, a change of providing legal aid to transgender people who want to change their names or photographs and uh, gender marks. Uh, it is a bit difficult here in Kenya. The laws are very good, but the implementation process is very difficult. Now um at times we look at the external, we forget to look at ourselves. Now, the transgender community is um it's a dynamic it 's a very complex community. it is not a monolith, but um, there are those uh, problems that we all face when especially when we are beginning our transition. And um, probably this will connect to my topic, my, my, my favorite topic of the week or the month that is liberating the self before liberating others. Now you find that there's a lot of stigma and transphobia in our community and not necessarily from the conservatives from every corners of our society. So I, work very hard to first liberate myself because there are those internal fears, those anxieties that we face. And before we go out there and win, we first have to win inside ourselves. We have to win in those battles that are raging within ourselves, the anxiety, the depression, the the self-doubt. So... Uh, I normally do that and I also encourage other transgender people to do it because one thing I tell them is before we win out there, we first have to win on the inside. So I normally do a lot of media advocacy work uh, with the mainstream and the, the alternative media are trying to empower transgender people with uh, with the message of hope and for them to realize that they are smarter and tougher than they they think. Um, The family, there's a lot of transphobia, especially from the family. Uh, Most people will normally say, I would rather have a transgender workmate than a transgender sibling. I would rather have a transgender... Tourist than a transgender sibling that is a study we did We, we saw that uh, around slightly over, uh, 20% of twenty percent of respondents here in Kenya said that uh, they would be comfortable having a transgender sibling compared to around eighty percent who said they would not want to have a transgender sibling, but they would be okay having a transgender a citizen, a fellow citizen who's transgender, but they are not related to them. So there's that. The family setup is very difficult. So myself, I am out to my family. I. It was very difficult. But then I realized that um, it's better to live for a day as an out transgender person than to live for a thousand years in the, in the, in the, in
0: the plantation of, uh, what's that, what's that process for you? I'm I'm curious. Um, because you talk about before fighting out there, we have to fight in here. I'm doing a little research, doing some research for this episode. Uh, one of the, one of the articles that came up of you was that of a high court victory in, in Kenya that you successfully won, according to the BBC in which, um the authorities had to amend the name on your uh your your true name on your birth certificate because the schools refused to do so because they wanted to use the name assigned at birth um yeah so i'm just curious like what what did this journey for you begin when you talk about that was that was that the main battle where is it did it start even before that
1: it started before that. In fact, the court battles, they are very small battles. The big battle was taking the first step to start my transition to to change my physical so that it conformed with the inside. The inside is the most important. So the outside has to match the inside. So I, I remember I started transitioning while I was in 19. And I remember I first started printing my hair and my dad was like, holy moly, what is this? Eddie, are you crazy? I used to be called Eddie. My other name, my slave name was Andrew, then Eddie. So um, my dad was like, are you mad? Can you go and have that hair shaved? And if you don't get it shaved, you're not going to campus. I was about to join campus. So I had to shave my hair to to join college. Go, college, yes, yes. So he he refused to pay my tuition fee until I shaved my hair. So I later on enrolled in campus, and then after two years, I started again. I started with my clothes, and then I started. Uh, getting hormones. I used to go to the hospital, the school doctors, they refused to give me hormones. So I used to get myself the hormones and I would inject. And then um, later on after campus, I, uh, after college, getting a job was very difficult. And wherever I would get employed, I would be exploited uh because I, I i like for example, I used to know how to make computers to repair computers, do networks, do a little bit of servers, and all that, so i would no I studied uh biotechnology, but uh because of loneliness, I used to work on my computer and I ended up learning a lot and studying online, yeah so Getting a job was very difficult because my identification documents, my national identity card, and and uh, academic certificates indicated that my name was Andrew and and I was male. So I tried to have the the for example my my certificate, my high
0: school diploma changed. Uh, they, but this but this doesn't make, well, I'm sorry, maybe I need some help to understand how the legal system works in Kenya because in America, once the Supreme Court makes a decision, it's a decision. And the uh, executive branch, they can't appeal, like there's no appeal above our Supreme Court. So there's an appeal process of the high court in Kenya. Yes,
1: but the high court is not the highest court. The high court, on top of the high court, we have the court of appeal. And then after the Court of Appeal, we have the
0: Supreme Court. Oh, okay. okay.
1: Yes, yes. It's called the High Court because there's a lower court. So the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court came after after the High Court was the apex court. So it used to be known as the High Court. So we now had a Court of Appeal and then we had now in 2013, 20, 20, not 2012 there, 2010, we had now had the Supreme Court. Yes, so we further other cases like for change of names in national identity cards, we won, We even registering the NGO I work with. Uh, the state, the government had refused For no particular reason, because there is nothing in Kenya that says being transgender is illegal, but they had refused. So we went to court, and we went to the high court and in 2014, we won. They still refused to issue uh, me with the registration certificate. So in 2017, I went to the high court to have the government officer in charge of that um, uh, imprisoned for content of court. That's when he issued us with a certificate. So we also had a problem with police officers. Back back in the days, before 2013, police officers used to arrest transgender people. They take them to the police station, beat them up, strip them, even call the media to for them to to take photos and to get videos which will be aired in TV. And no one used to think it is it is illegal and inhumane and a violation of rights. So in 2013 we went to court after one of my transgender sisters was, uh, was beaten up in a police station and we won. And she was even compensated uh, for damages. Uh, yeah, but... We we could not have done this if we had not won in the battles that are within us. Out of the, the big battles are within us, taking that first step, going and getting the clothes that you are comfortable with, applying for change of name, uh, seeking medical uh, services health services related to gender reassignment those are the battles even getting from bed there are times it's even hard to get out of bed uh, and going to a police station to get a transgender person out but uh, get taking that deep breath and throwing the blankets away and pushing your feet on the ground and standing up and starting the day those are the small or rather the big the small big fights that make the difference
0: definitely I, I thank you so much We're, we'll come back to you I want to uh, let Diamond chime in um talk about herself I know who you are obviously but um yeah just introduce us to you know to uh introduce uh, introduce yourself and in. If you have any you know if you have any thoughts on what Audrey said, you know if you see any similarities between her story and yours
2: Wow, uh, so i'm I'm Diamond Styles. Um, as you said, I'm the executive director, director of Black Trans Women Inc, and what Aubrey said, Audrey, right? Yes, Audrey said what we do at our org is try to make that self transition for trans people here in America simpler than it instead of it being as difficult for you know for you just being alone we have actual Infrastructure in our organization to help people do that self work and make the um, make the process of getting your name change, process of getting your um, birth certificate change, process of getting on your home home process of um, anything that you're trying to do that there are barriers. We can step in and help you um, figure that out. That's what we do. That's what we do all around the country. Um, and because. Like she said, it's really that that's where it starts. It starts internally, it starts with you. So, if you need therapy, if you need um, just support, I remember um, I was called to go down to the SSI office. SSI is um, Social Security like income office. Yeah. And so um, some people, when they have disabilities, they, um, you know, they have to get SSI for whatever reason. There's so many reasons why you would get SSI. And so one of the girls called me because she was having so much anxiety going down, talking to the people because the secretary, not even even the damn person who (laughs) makes the decisions about her case, the damn secretary was misgendering her and was really just being a bitch. (laughs) So I had to go down there. And sometimes when it's your stuff, you don't want to mess it up. So you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to cuss them out, but it's not my stuff. So I can come down there and be like, yo. No, this is not gonna happen. This is the law in this city. This is the law in this state. You're not gonna disrespect her She's allowed to So since you want to be cute, let me talk to your boss. I'm the case manager for this person. Let me talk to your boss That lady was fired within the week Don't play with me. So this is what we do. We all our, our organization really likes to put ourselves in the middle of our client and whoever that might be a person that might be a problem for them. And so they know they have support, not them, not just the client knowing that they have support, but also the people who may be trying them. Like, yo, we got Monica Roberts on our board. <laughs> we, got, we got people who we can call and say, hey, we can make this a whole big old thing if you want to make it a big old thing. So Let's make this happen a more streamlined way. And we think that's important because we need to know that we're not alone. I remember growing up. I transitioned when I was 13. I remember growing up feeling alone like I was the only trans person in the world. I remember being the only trans person at my school and only being like maybe four or five gay trans people. (laughs) And so for me, it was a struggle of loneliness. It was a struggle of... um, just you know you're battling not only internal like family stuff um but you're battling the outside world and for me that not if i had some if i had a team had a organization that was dedicated to um helping me streamline that process from being who i am so having that support system and having um, an organization that dedicated to that type of support would have, would have totally changed my opportunity. It would have totally changed um, my confidence. It would have totally changed a whole myriad, avoided a whole myriad of things that I had to go through just to get to where I am today. When it comes to college, I remember, um, you know, people putting me in a boy's dorm, people, um, you know, when in high school, um, been trying not to um, let me go to prom in a gown. Um, so many things in my life would have been avoided if I had an organization or um, a support system that I actually could call on when I was having these kind of problems. So for me, that's what our organization do. And as far as my podcast, since I host a podcast called Marshall's Play, um, that is more... My organization is more about the um, hands-on groundwork of, you know, getting stuff done. My podcast is really just about shining a light on unique stories, shining a light, doing archival work in, so so that our stories are not erased. So people like we we um, maybe like a year ago we were talking about um Ricky um on our show just about her her case in Botswana, um it's, we we people that things that you don't um you might not be able to hear. I feel like as a black trans woman, my job is to shine a light on it. So you know that we are not in silos. We are actually, this is a global movement that is happening. And what happens here <laughs> affects what's happened there. We can, and it might not be direct, like, oh, I knew Ricky, um for years and I told her how to do this. No, no, no. But just seeing her actually fighting lets me know that I can fight over here for my rights too. Seeing... Um, People anywhere in the globe having the same issues or similar issues and really having the courage really can inspire. Look at what's happening with Black Lives Matter um, around the globe. It's that same kind of concept. Think about what was happening um, in the civil rights movement. Those things were affecting what was going on globally. And so for me, on my show I like to be able to shine a light archive that works so people can't erase it um and for people who maybe my show is a passive way for them to learn about trans the trans life and the trans experience without us doing the labor in person me teaching you about pronouns me teaching you about silly little things that not silly but um you know things that i'm way past <laughs> i don't want to have to do the labor to explain to you the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity when you can, go listen to, when you can just go listen to my podcast i got bigger things i got people out here being murdered I, I live in texas we are the murder trans murder capital of the united states currently so i have bigger things to worry about than <laughs> than you not knowing that you know you're worrying about who i'm sleeping with <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. I hear, I hear you, Diamond. I want to go to um, Ricky.
3: Um, Thanks, Robert. For the record, I'll have to restate my name then. Um, my name is Tepori Ricky tau ganza Um is a Savannah name, just so to be able to give a bit of clarity where the name comes from. Kosi means king, and then Tau means lion. So, you could say lion king, but it's king lion. My great, great, great my that of like the 10th generation before me was a king in the Barolong, um, in the northwest province of South Africa. So my family is in both South Africa and Botswana, hence I'm now currently living in Cape Town, but I carry a Botswana citizenship because then I'm the second generation to be born in Botswana of my family. And I work for Accountability International, yes. And and I'll give a little bit of of background in terms of how I've gotten to this point as well, because then um, much like my sisters, Audrey, and even Diamond um, have already alluded to, I think I'm sitting in the middle of very powerful warrior queens right now who have had to champion for many others um, to ensure that then what we have gone through as individuals, others of our own siblings and an emerging cohort of trans-diverse persons do not go through the hassle that we've had to go through. So I happen to be the first person who is trans-identified to actually be appointed an executive director to an INGO. So that was something that made history in, in 2017 when I was appointed. Um, primarily because they were looking as an organization that works to advance accountability for um, the lives of marginalized communities. They were looking for a leadership that really embodies um, the various communities that they, they actually work on. Um, because then one of the things we acknowledge is that we're not just trans, but that we have these multiple intersecting identities that then come with the multiple and, and intersecting um, vulnerabilities, exclusions, um violence and, and we all to continuously foreground them whenever we talk about ourselves. Because I think it's often easy for people to reduce trans persons to a very singular narrative. I echo what Diamond was saying that is there's often this reductionist attitude that wants to reduce the conversation about trans persons to what's between your legs, who are you sleeping with? And we are much more than that. So at the time that I joined Accountability International, they needed somebody who was young, some um, youth. They needed somebody who is from the LGBTI community, happened to be trans. Um, they needed a black African person to actually be the one to lead this African-led organization legitimately. And then they also needed a, a black woman. So it was all these intersecting identities of mine that really created the privilege and, and opportunity for me to be sitting where I'm at And a lot of my work that has gotten me to this point, um, like my sister Audrey, has been a lot about um, litigation. My background is in international human rights law, protection, proliferation, and diplomacy. So I've I've done quite a lot of work um, from the personal becoming the political Where I studied in Johannesburg, did my undergrad in in Joburg, and then at the point where I was relocating to Botswana. I happened to have lost my identity documents in that time and getting them replaced just in my very simplistic naivete that I had in mind was going to be an easy process of just getting it replaced as is. I had not gotten around at that time. I had no intention yet to go and get the sex marker amended on it. It was something that was still in the pipeline for me. At that point in time, I had been living as, as a woman, having been raised as a girl in my family from the age of 10. So it, it wasn't so bothersome, more, especially that living in South Africa, I had to just use my passport. And usually it didn't raise much of issues for me with one or two incidences here and there when I traveled. But at that point, it was just to get the ID to and get into home affairs. The person who has assisted me, literally the first point of contact, like Diamond was saying earlier, that's the experience I had that your client also had the other day that you had to send into where I, it went into an inquisition about why is it that as a woman who's standing in front of this official at-home affairs, I was presenting differently to what was contained in my, in my ID, which they were trying to replace. So in that very moment, then that's where the battle began. That was 2011. And unbeknownst to me, it was going to be a seven-year battle with, with government to just hold them accountable for having the proper identity documents. So in that moment then that's what then catalyzed the whole entire process of getting the IDs replaced with the correct um, sex marker and gender marker on it because government at the time made it clear that categorically they could not give me an ID that on it said male while I presented female to them. So in essence, not having issue with the fact that I had transitioned, but having issue with the fact that I was carrying an identity that seemed to be fraudulent and they could not be able to aid um, fraud as a government or as an agent of government. So instead of being able to help me administratively where they have been able to do that for intersex individuals before, with trans persons there was a discrimination um, in terms of not allowing us to be able to get that kind of administrative support from the department itself of civil and national registration. So I had to go and get a court order. So that's how the battle then began in, in taking the steps to now seek legal representation in Botswana. I couldn't go and represent myself, so I had to seek legal representation in order to be able to obtain this court order. It was a back and forth battle with government. At one point, the Attorney General had indicated in the heads of arguments that they would be abiding by the court's decision. In some part, while we were sitting in court for roll call at some point in 2015, um, a little scrap paper just came about, was passed to my lawyer while we were sitting there, um, case number being called, Kosiko versus Attorney General and the rest, and they had now decided that they were going to oppose. So the person said to us that, I've just received orders from the office that we are now opposing oh, okay, so we've had to go back and refile, because now they had to go and refile everything in terms of what their heads of arguments were going to be now opposing, because for two years they had let us believe that, no, we will not be opposing. Um, Whatever court decision comes out of the matter, we will abide. So that led us to another two-year battle again of now dealing with a patriarchal system that made it difficult for a woman judge who was assigned to my matter Fearing having to set precedence, because this was the first case um, in the country that was heard before the, the High Court, so there was two similar matters. Um, I had a friend who is anonymous who was also seeking his gender marker to be amended. So we we're friends, and at the time, even in 2014, 2015, government had used another tactic to demand that our matters be consolidated. And when we refused the consolidation, they now demanded that there be an inquiry to establish that this is not the same person. I mean, really, one is an, a male to female trans person, the other is a female to male. How difficult can it be? And we were represented by the same exact law firm. So it would have been an easy thing of just picking up a phone call to say, hey, are these the same persons? Although even the, the facts that are contained within the heads would tell you that the names are different, the sex marker that is being sought is different, it was just all delay tactics of buying themselves time because they did not have a case. Ideally, they just did not have any case. Even the heads of arguments were just clear that they did not have a case. So only then in 2017 do we get to win in court. And both our cases were won in the High Court in the same year. Um, so, which was really a huge, huge, huge marker of the kind of change that we were seeing. Because in that very time, my case and that of the anonymous person N.D. was a part of this incremental um, litigation strategy that we had taken in Botswana for LGBTI related um, matters that were being presented before the court. Because before 2017, in 2015, 2016, a matter related to another LGBTI organization called Le Khabibo had actually been tried for about 10 years where they were seeking just to the right to be able to register. So we kept building this body of, of case law that really was becoming more and more compelling for the court to continuously side and ab- abide with, with um, queer folks. So part of that was ideally on our part only but a stepping stone towards getting towards legal and policy reform in Botswana to getting an overhaul of existing statutes to ensure that they were trans-inclusive and to make them, to ensure that they were very sensitive towards. Um, diversity and transformation. So the the cases were just meant as a door opener for us to now have this kind of conversation that, okay, we told you we exist. The court now validated for you that we exist. We've always existed. Now, can we get into the substantive matters of how do we change the laws and policies that exist in the country to ensure that a person can be able to found a family to get employed? and not get discriminated while employed, to ensure that they have access to the highest attainable level of of health care, that we can be able to marry our partners whoever if you wanna be in a committed relationship, that you can be able to get it solemnized, that we get to a point of having conversation around what about trans persons who also come into conflict with the law, for instance, and find themselves in prison, settings? how do we ensure they're also protected and they're affirmed in this kind of context? So this was just a so open opener for the myriad ways in which our, our lives were really, really prohibited and inhibited by a lack of acknowledgement of our existence and the constitutional protection of our human rights but over and overnight um, being that accountability is something that i hold very personally um it, it's very dear to me both at a personal and a professional type of thing and it always requires of us to produce the evidence that is needed um so it's why then i work working like ai as we call it in short in using um evidence to be able to back up our advocacy why is it that we need to actually include trans persons in our policies in our developmental agenda setting because if we continuously exclude trans persons then we fail to meet all these ambitious targets your global targets of 2030 um, the UNAIDS and HIV global health related targets to be able to end HIV and AIDS by 2030, those are the highest. The sky, if we fail to continuously be sensitive to, to the LGBTI, I'm particularly.
0: I think what's extraordinary about the three of you is that in your respective countries, you've done, you've had, and you've had to set a legal precedent. Just to exist, who you are, just to exist as who you are, which is something that I don't think like very few people ever have to do. I mean, we as Black people, I mean, we have that experience on the white supremacy, but it's it's it's. But your experiences are there's an extra layer, is that of gender, and so that's an experience that even I think, <clears throat> you know, uh, it's just it's an extra layer, and so I want to ask you all. What are the the political conversations now? I can only speak from America, Diamond and me, we can only speak from America in regards to, you know, as far as pop culture, we have, you know, television shows, polls, et cetera. We have, uh, in America, we have people, you know, presidential candidates literally having transgender people, transgender black women on their campaigns because in addition to the Black Lives Matter movement, they are being pressured to be inclusive, and so that's happening here. So I'm curious, um Audrey, like do you are, are there any types of shifts that are happening in Kenya where people um they, you know, whether it be from a pop culture perspective or or political in a right in a positive direction?
1: I don't want to say we have a lot of uh uh, uh political activities going on. Uh, and probably it's because of what I said, that unless we first uh, win on the inside, we won't be able to win on the outside. Currently, we only have one transgender person who does TV shows and interviews and all that. Unless we're able to come out and engage the society without hiding the transgender part, we are not moving anywhere. We will not be able to go to our homes during Christmas and meet our relatives and see our grandparents. Because when people stay in towns in the big cities like Nairobi and Mombasa and Kisumu, they stay there and they hide and they stay in, they, they live in stealth. And that. As they live in stealth, they, no one can tell they're transgender. They hide that part. So unless we have that thing of liberating ourselves in our own, we, we take ourselves from our own plantation, forget about the cisgender, the plantation that cisgender people put us in, but unless we also have a plantation we ourselves put ourselves in, okay? We put ourselves in our house and say, I can't do this. It's too difficult. I can't do this. People call me names. I can't do this. I might fail. That is our plantation. We put ourselves in that plantation. So unless we first get ourselves out of that plantation, nothing much will work out. But unfortunately, I don't to say they failed. Maybe it's me who failed. I have not maybe been able to to inspire enough transgender people to come out in the public and engage the public as who they really are without hiding the transgender component. I think I failed. I don't want to say the rest have failed. I think it's me, I think I should have done it better but maybe I
2: i don't think that it's a failure though i think that um i remember when i was younger although i didn't see like examples when i was growing up In my mind, I felt like once I got older, I started to meet people who were actually on the same journey at the same time as me. I just didn't see them. And because, and they thought that they were lonely, they thought that they were the only ones too. So I think just when somebody comes to the light, like when somebody is ready to come to the light and they can Google, like I can literally search Kenya <laughs> transgender activist and your name pops up immediately. So when I'm a little kid at 13 or 16 or 17, you are the light. So even though it may not feel like, you, you know, you're not do, you, you, not you're not doing it, but you might not be that example in a good way or whatever. How you, how you explained it. Literally somebody coming up can literally see that they're not alone. There's somebody like you in their country who they can see as a beacon of light they may not know you they may not live by you but they can see you as a beacon of light and i don't i, I can't i can't express how powerful that is just knowing that that person exists because at the time i don't know how old you are but at the time that you come out if you press google what would have came up since it wasn't you <laughs>
1: No, but but you see in Diamond, the problem is, yes, they normally do that. And a lot of transgender people do that. And they come to the organization. We do like, we provide legal services for change of name in their documents. But my problem is uh, they are not able to to engage the members of the public and sensitize the public about transgender issues. And uh, what we need to do to solve the real problems of the transgender community. When, for example, um, I work with several media houses on, on, on public awareness campaigns for transgender persons. Now, a journalist will tell me, we want to talk to other transgender people, and I will talk to them and, you know, like, beg them, let's do this, let's do this. And they say, I'm I'm afraid, I'm scared. I don't want my picture to appear, my face to appear in the newspaper because I might get attacked, because my parents might know what is going on, because my relatives will get to know I'm transgender and they might uh, reject me. So that part I I feel maybe I did inspire them the right way. Uh, uh, I don't know, I think I failed in a way. Uh, maybe you win some, you, you, you lose some, I, I think.
3: I think for me, I, I echo, and thanks for that, Audrey. I mean, it, it's, it's a bit of burden of responsibility that as, I guess, pioneers or pathfinders, we have to, to carry on our backs. I was wondering, have we given enough? Have we done enough? is what we're doing good enough at this point. And I want to affirm you, my sister, you are doing incredible work. Like like Zemmunt was saying, when, when you place yourself out there in the line of fire, um, as you have done in, in the Kenyan context, and for a greater part for what you have done uh, reverberates with the rest of the continent, because some of your own on case law is what we've even referenced in some of my own litigation. So you might not immediately see the the change or transformation that you wish to be able to see in your lifetime, but it's those kind of seeds of change that you have planted. Because like Diamond is saying, we grew up at a time where there was no role model. We we didn't have any other picture of ourselves. There wasn't somebody to put out there. And just the thought of knowing there's somebody like me out there and a young person who might still be afraid right now, but still conjuring that kind of strength, that kind of audacity to be bold about themselves, you are a reference point. Trust me, no matter that they're still in that scared phase, it's all those circumstances that still need to be dealt with, but you are a reference point for them that they think about Audrey when they wake up that it's actually possible. It's not easy.
1: But I don't want them to do that. I, I want them. I want them to take over. Uh, uh, Ricky, you guys, you girls, and guys, you need to understand. We know. We know. <laughs> you, you need to understand that I've aged. I I have fought hard, and at times I feel like I'm a spent force. I am damaged a little bit. I'll be honest with you. It's. I, I, I don't want to say it because you know it, it will be recorded, but I, I will be honest with you, at times I do feel like I'm a spent force. That's why I, I need the new, the people who saw me in Facebook, who got in touch with me on Facebook because they saw me doing an interview, and they came and we, did, we provided them with information on accessing hormones and all that, change of names in their documents,
3: I want them to take over for me because. Yep, we want, we want to pass on the baton. Somebody has to take the baton and run the relay because we've run the race. But you know, when when thinking about that, it's something that has continuously propelled me to to not get stagnated in a place where I find myself, both professionally and even on the personal side, because I'm always driven by this thing as well of saying we 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 chat away but we, we we do not understand fully the the contextual issues perhaps that are facing a twelve year old of now who is trans identified and we need to create a platform for them to come in and also contribute to the discourse. So it is for me what has put me to want to creating and founding the Richard Husa Foundation in Botswana. Which is not an NGO, but a a social enterprise that I have. I'm running on the side, which through which I'm going to be doing a couple of things. One is obviously to raise funds for other trans but on the side to affirm themselves. But on the one end, to build this trans excellence. And I think Diamond is already most likely doing this work as well with, with Black Trans Women Inc. um, And building this trans excellence and this strong trans cohort of powerful young women behind us who ideally can be able to go into places and go and also change um, the narrative in spaces that they find themselves in. And I think that's the burden of the responsibility on us. How are we mentoring? How are we succession planning? How are we grooming the, the younger cohorts to be able to go out there and do beyond and over and above what we have already done ourselves? So I, I was very curious as you were talking, understanding how African families are to what extent the support that in both of your, your, your context, that we you're offering support to families and maybe even parents of trans persons, because in Botswana, that's one of the things that the Retro Foundation in this is doing. My mom is somebody who's very open to talk to other parents who see um, some gender variant behavior and attributes in their own children and needing to understand how do I support my child? and maybe still remain African in terms of my traditional um, values and, and customs, but also maybe even from a religious perspective. So that I've seen how we often at times work on the trans person alone, but not enough effort goes to really transforming the people who are around them. Well, of course, other people are just really big that will never be able to transform, but where it is able to be done, To what extent you've been finding that um, experience, if you have any with? So for us
2: particularly, so we've had a conference for about um, 10 years. We started in um, 2011, so this one will be our 10th in 2021. Um, And we have every every year that we have a conference, we have a a program track specifically for parents to come and actually come in and learn Trans 101, to learn about how to get their children on hormones, what doctors, because we have a whole resource list for them to go to, particularly here in Texas, that here you go, this is what you can do. These are affirming therapists that you can get the paperwork you need and information you need. We already have it, we have already done the legwork for them to make, like, we, like I said earlier, to make their situation more streamlined and easier so not, they don't have to do the legwork and deal with the frustration and anxiety of dealing with those kind of things. So you don't know how many times parents have come. I remember this lady, um, she was a black woman, and she was black woman. She came in. She didn't have her child with her. And so we're sitting in our in our group. We're like, why is this random cis woman in here with us? And you know, we're like, hey, how you doing? Um, and she was like, So I have a trans child and I don't accept them, but I love my baby and I don't want to them feel, oh shit. So I'm sorry. <laughs> she said, I don't want to make them feel like I hate them. I don't want to make them feel like I hate them because before I get to the point where My child doesn't love me anymore. I want to fix this shit within me. And so me seeing a woman come to us about that, let me know the power that we have. And we were able to sit down and talk to her. And so she brought her child the next year to our conference and they come every year and their relationship has grown and been beautiful. And it's just, a, it's a perfect example of the work. that We don't we didn't know she was coming in. We didn't know that she was coming in for us to help her. But if we didn't have a platform, if we didn't have the space if we didn't, if we didn't have those tireless nights, if we didn't have those time where we felt like we didn't have a successor, we didn't have, you know what I'm saying? If we did, if we weren't on the process of making this, whatever this we're trying to do, she wouldn't. She wouldn't have the resource. So yeah, I get tired as hell. Yes, I, I want a damn successor. I want to go take a break sometimes, and I do. Sometimes you gotta say boom, but. But you never know. I mean, Maya Angelou said this to um, Oprah one time. She was like, you're trying to build a legacy, but you don't know the expansiveness of your legacy. You won't know. It's impossible. You don't know who is watching. You don't know 10 years from now who it's going to affect. I'm pretty sure Fannie Lou Hamer, um, didn't know what kind of inspiration she would have years later. When we talk about Audie Lorde, when we talk about um, Assata Shakur sitting sitting her ass up in um, Cuba, being an inspiration <laughs> for so many people, you know, we, I'm pretty sure in the moment, they didn't know. When she was looking, almost getting shot by cops, You know, when they were really harassing her and had her in prison, she had to break out of prison. In the moment, they might not have known, they might have been tired, they might have been wore out, but we don't know how it's going to affect the world. And so for us, in my mind, I just feel like it's really important to, um, you know, exactly what you said, to... we can't just focus on us. It has to be a more expansive and broad um, strategy to get the families, to get the people, to get um, work, to get, um, um, I remember we went out to actual. we went out and scouted companies who actually wanted to be inclusive about their hiring. We had to really go out and ask, hey, do you want to include trans people in your work labor force? Like, how can we do that? Let's do a job fair. So y'all can come and interview trans people and you know and hire them like sometimes you just gotta do the work and that's a part of it's it tiring yes absolutely but um you gotta be more expansive and i think i think we do a good job in regards to connecting the families and from that kind of work
0: i know audrey you're saying that we have to do you know we all have to work within ourselves and you you, you, you know you spend a lot of time talking about that but in your capacity as a media person have you found any breakthroughs or any type of um or any type of progress in how media in Kenya report on transgender people?
1: yeah, we have had uh, a huge huge change uh, uh in the way the media um uh, publishes uh things relating to transgender. Uh, It is better. uh, Back in uh, early 21st century, if a transgender person was arrested uh, or a, a person who was gender atypical, if they were arrested and taken to the police station, the media would report it. A homosexual man was arrested. A homosexual man was arrested pretending to be a housemate, right now they stopped depicting, and I'm not saying being gay is bad, being gay is okay, but we always have that confusion of transgender and gay. So the media used to report anything transgender, they would report it yes a gay issue. So uh, I've, I've been training uh, journalists so far. The last three years, I have trained 104 journalists and we have done 10 media articles and interviews, very good articles and interviews with uh, some of those journalists. And I will continue doing uh, that work. I am currently publishing a paper on their trainings, and I hope it will be published, and I'll share it with you.
0: I would love to see it, definitely, absolutely. And we could have you on to talk about it specifically, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so there is that change. But as I said, unless we, transgender people, remove ourselves from our transgender plantations, And this is a plantation that we transgender people created. It is not the cisgender, it is not the heterosexual, it is not the gay people who created it, it is us. So unless we get ourselves from that plantation, which is inside, so this, as I said, the big battle, the 75% of the battle is within. So winning inside means winning on the outside there, in the world there. Being able to go to a job interview with, for example, my, document, my documents indicate I am Audrey Mbokwa, but my gender marker is still male. I, I go, I travel to South Africa, to, to Uganda, to Tanzania, to the US, to the UK. And at times I get asked, uh, there's a time I went to South Africa and an immigration officer asked me, uh, Madam, do you know there is a problem with your passport? And I asked what problem and like, it indicates you're male. And I was like, uh, you know, um, I had uh, been born and assigned to the male sex, transition to female, I am transgender. I've been trying to get the government to change it to either F or T, T for transgender, and they have refused. And they just laugh, and they now ask me questions about what is transgender, you know, how is the situation in Kenya? How do you help somebody who is transgender? How do you accommodate them, let's say, in the workplace? And it's in my, in immigration officer in the airport, and I, I was like, you know what? I will still take it as a positive having that male gender marker because it gives me. It presents opportunities for me to educate people. Because if I had an F, if I had an F, I would just pass in the line. Those people would not be empowered on issues of transgender. And I'm not saying everyone has to, to buy, into, buy into the whole transgender thing. But mine is, let us be respectful of diversity. Let us uh, have a balance. I might not be a, uh, a cisgender female. But if that is not, it is impossible to give me F in my female in my documents, then give me a T for transgender. In fact, I would prefer to even have T for transgender in my documents rather than an F uh, because I still feel I'm not like a cisgender female. And I'm not saying all cisgender females are the same, but... I love being transgender uh, to, and also to be identified as transgender, even the media itself. The media is not going to change on their own. Parliament is not going to change on their own. The health care providers are not going to change just like that. We, the transgender people, have to be the ones to go to them and empower them with information and engage them in a respectful, and in a civilized fashion
0: I started off in local journalism and one of the major the the people who really mess up the the gender markers are the local media folks the nationals tend to be a little bit better and i remember myself about 7 years ago when when our freelance reporters did an excellent story on how the new york police department target uh transgender people on the street under the suspicion of engaging in sex work or prostitution, you know, a legal activity uh, did an extra job on it and It was the first time that I was introduced to this the idea of you know, the language Gender assigned at birth and these are my pronouns. I was very ignorant and I didn't want to honor them and ultimately my boss above me who was on vacation okayed the uh, story and we honored the people's pronouns, but what took me on, and you know, what really helped me to become a better journalist was an activist reached out to me, ironically, a few months afterwards and asked me to um, write stories about the transgender women here who were, you know, being targeted and killed in interpartner violence. And so I was caught in a really great spot where I was ignorant, but I was willing to learn. And so now, I am one of the journalists that's looking out at other media and actually correcting my colleagues. Right. But unfortunately, I wouldn't say unfortunately, but I I always acknowledge the fact that it's the transgender people who are putting in that labor in order to help me overcome my ignorance. Right. And I, I think that's, I think that's something that I just, just to acknowledge and for everybody who's listening that you all are putting in this work so that we, can be better right and I think that now in America quite frankly I think a lot of people are being you know pressured into doing better because they're afraid that they'll get in trouble you know like there's more of an accountability culture here that I think existed than even a few years ago uh, especially within media if you misgender someone you'll be called out you know it'll be corrected so it's a big thing here and it's actually getting um it's actually getting a little bit better but you know one thing I wanted to ask um Ricky about um I don't know if you know like the ma- the news item that I saw that's going on here is that the case of the 800 meter uh, runner Castor Semenya's um Ricky and so what are people t- here in America, people are discussing it it's in all the major publications. But what type of conversations are taking place in Botswana and South, you know, South Africa?
3: I mean, it's it's quite fairly new um, because it's like two days ago that the judgment came through um, from Katlego's appeal case. Um but given that there is quite a couple of avenues that Caspa still has at this point in time where the matter can be able to be taken to the European Court of Human Rights. Um and that's really at this point in time the very last avenue there is in this particular matter. Um although we have seen within a South African context Casper his own um social media spaces where previously and, and just before and came out, she had indicated wishes to even move out of World um, International Athletics, now move into another passion that she happens to be very good at as well, which is women's soccer. Um, And that is something that she's also considering, which we're taking with a huge pack of salt, not even just a pinch, because it it, it continuously is habituating this um, understanding that we have of the racist connotations towards black, female elite athletes, because she's not the first who has had these levels of checklists that seemingly are raising issues. We've seen a lot of other Russian um, athletics um, before in the same exact context and case case that we can place KASTA in, but they were not targeted. They were not unfairly treated as they have done with KASTA. And question continuously becomes: is it just a thing, or maybe it's a contagion of not only just being a queer woman where KASTA is intersex, and we know this categorically, but also being Black and being excellent at what she does. And the intention thereof is to subdue Black excellence. And it, it goes far beyond just whether CAFTA can be allowed to, to run or not. It's now a, a real human rights issue at play that is related to supporting discrimination, bias, and unfair treatment of particular black bodies who are targeted unfairly. So there's they still, I guess, some couple of, of discussions that um, many of us are yet to have in, in some of the other collectives that we belong to in terms of how can we support CAFTA in order to take this matter further of which the next step would obviously be um, the European Court of Human Rights, of which in the South African context, it took years. Um, You remember that Casa's case began way back in 2009. It took us some years of advocacy and lobbying government itself to be able to rally behind behind Casa Senenya because this is somebody who is a flag bearer for the country so ideally, her unfair treatment is as equally an unfair treatment and a blow to the country in and itself to have its own representation in international athletics. So they, we're still yet to, to hear of any statement made coming from government, particularly the Department of Sport um, and Recreation, because they had been in previous, the people who um, rallied behind Tasa and supported the legal fees related to the initial appeal that she had mounted. Um, after that decision from the court of of voting arbitration. So it, it, it's that that we we having conversations about. And question is, what can we do? Because at this point in time, accountability becomes very difficult with international bodies such as the IAAF that say, we are not a human rights body. We essentially do this, and we cannot be regulated by your human rights instruments fair and well, but what is it that we can be able to galvanize as support that could be able to hit them where it hurts? And part of that is also rallying and lobbying other countries that really are in support and and legislation, policy, and social discourse that is supportive um, and inclusive of, of diversity to be able to also say, we are going to actually withdraw our own athletes then and let's see who else you remain with um this particular sporting code because then that's the only way in which we can be able to bring them to their knees in order for them to be able to see that this is not just an issue about a singular person called Semenya, and it's not just about south africa but it is about a greater community of people, as human beings around the world, who are affected by these kind of decisions because they have a ripple effect insofar as how they affect the inclusion or exclusion of even um, such kind of elite athletes, even at national level. So the impact thereof is much more bigger than just where maybe some people can be able to segregate it just to international sporting and athleticism.
0: Right. Absolutely. Diamond, I know you're going to run. I'll let you have like a, a last word, um, we, you know, we can sign you off. Um, and so I want to ask you, what do you think, like right now in 20, you know, this is 2020, we have an election taking place. How consequential do you think this election is for transgender folks in America, given how extremely transphobic Donald Trump is? And, you know, um, and and particularly his his whole, you know, with with the ways in which he has used HUD to basically make it try to make it legal so that HUD funded facilities will not welcome transgender people. Um, You have the Republicans who refuse to sign the, you know, the Equality Act that would be an extension of the Supreme Court ruling that rules that you can no longer discriminate against somebody because they're trans. How consequential was 2020 for trans people here in America?
2: I think we we really have to watch out for certain nuances in conversation and what's happening. I know right now Trump is being demonized and rightly so for all the trash stuff that he does and blah, 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 blah. But if you really, if you remember back prior to his election in 2016, when Trump was asked about the trans issue, particularly around the bathroom, he was like, "What? I feel like they should be able to use the bathroom of their identity. People don't remember that, but he actually did say that. He was actually like, "What? Why is this an issue? Let them use the bathroom." Da da da. It wasn't until he got elected and his base, his trash base, was now he's conforming to even more right-wing rhetoric because he wants to be re-elected. Like Trump, if we if you remember, he was more on the Democratic side <laughs> like years ago. So what he's doing now is actually he's like, he's like real mutable. And because he is a narcissist trying to stay in power, he is actually shifting more to the right he has ever been because he knows that is what is going to get his base to rally behind him so he can, you know, be this amazing person better than Obama. So I I want to kind of point that out too. But um, You know, with the base being so trash, with um, this white lash of white supremacy um, that is happening because of Obama. We got to clock, it is because of Obama and because of, you know, just what he represented, what we're seeing now is a white lash. And so for us as a trans person, it is super, super detrimental because we we don't know when um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is gonna go up out of here. We don't know, um, you know, who who Donald Trump would be able to appoint to the Supreme Court. We we locked up with this Supreme Court decision (laughs) um, about the workforce discrimination, because, you know, luckily Brett Kavanaugh and the other guy, I can't remember his name, but actually voted in our favor. We lucked up on that. (laughs) We lucked up that they were able to um, look at it fairly and we actually won that particular case. But it's just the future for trans people it is clear that they are trying to take away our rights. They are already doing it right now. They are trying to put um, um, uh, laws and in, 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 in practices and policies in, in position so that doctors can say, on a religious basis, "I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to deal with the trans stuff because that's against my religion." They're literally are putting people in a position where they aren't able to get care, but simply based on them being trans. And we know the ramifications of that. We know because even right now, there are people who are living, particularly in rural areas, who who have doctors who are saying that without without the policy being in place they're literally saying i don't want to give you hormones i don't believe in that even though right now legally that we have some protections but he's they're literally trying to put policy so they can have some legal way to say no i don't want to do this and so We know the ramifications of that because people are already dealing with it. When we talk about in 1995, when um, Tyra Hunter was in a car accident and the EMTs, took her clothes off and found out that she was trans, and they stopped working on her. Your job is to get people to the hospital, take care of them until you get to the hospital so that people can survive. They literally stopped and said, oh, this is a man. I'm not doing this. So much so that the bystanders had to say, yo, this is a human being, and your job, our taxpayer money, (laughs) is to pay you so you can take care of people. Tyra ended up dying because they did not work on her. And you are an emergency medical team. And so, fast forward, that was in 1995, fast forward to 2012, the same exact thing, a trans person, Deshaun Smith, was with his mother having a seizure. And when the his mother, a, a older woman, Called the um, uh, the nine one one. They came to the apartment and and, and Deshaun Smith was having a seizure. And when they found out that they were trans, they stopped working on her. <laughs> so we know what it looks like when people don't care for your, your humanity. We know what it looks like. We have examples for decades of how people, when you don't care and you don't see us as human, it makes us more vulnerable to death, it makes us more vulnerable to violence, it makes us more vulnerable to things that we need as humans to be able to live and thrive and be happy and be healthy. We know the ramifications of that. And so when people, when we have our government, we already have the stupid ignorant people on the underbelly of the swamp of America treating us like shit. When we have our government solidifying that with policy, solidifying that with, um, you know, laws that does not protect us, it it just put us in a whole other level of
0: vulnerability. Absolutely, and my final, you know, um, to sign off, Um, on a more positive note, what what, what does liberation look like uh, for you, Audrey? Just in a short, just in a very briefly, just describe liberation. What does that feel like for you?
1: I will still go back to the basic liberation for me means being able to wake up early in the morning, preparing yourself, going and doing whatever you do, whether it's uh, driving an Uber, driving a lift, being a teacher, uh, shining in people's shoes, being a police officer, being a researcher, being a nurse, it means going and doing it 110% when you're transgender and everyone is stigmatizing you, but you still do it 110%. That is reparation for me. Conquering the... The enemy within ourselves before before our enemy conquering before fighting the perceived enemy on the outside, meaning on the inside.
0: Ricky,
3: definitely I echo what um, Audrey has just presented, but I think for me it's also a step further beyond just the taking out all those personal barriers but true liberation is living in, an, in a world where diversity is seen as the norm such that we, we no longer need to be seen to be the anomaly and i, I have learned particularly as a trans person of faith um, have come to learn that diversity is actually the norm of creation whatever you call the creator that created nature that created humans that created the world if anything is a constant, is that diversity is the norm. So we, true liberation is where we get everybody to, to that realization and that appreciation of the fact that every single one of us are a part of the diversity of humankind, of human creation. And with that, what it would do is exactly what Audrey is speaking to, where an, a, a transgender person comes to be without having to feel that I am the other, without feeling that I am abnormal, but that I'm actually part of the norm. And that time immemorial is able to record and, and, and tell us that intersex persons, same sex and same gender-loving couples and attractions, transgender persons, gender diverse human beings have always existed in every single community. So we need to decolonize our minds and our thinking where the European colonizers have taught us that gender and sex were a binary, whereas many of our cultures actually do tell a different narrative about gender being something that was very fluid, gender being something that came beyond just the binary where they were even in our vernacular terms that we used to refer to people like ourselves that my own great told me in another that they had of a word that was even borrowed from Africans that denoted something called trasi. Trasi being somebody who, uh, it could be used derogatory, but I also continuously want to disempower the derogation that comes with it in order to claim it that it existed as, as vernacular. You go into into the, the Hausa and in the, into the Yoruba culture in, in Nigeria, there was words that existed, Yandoudou, Adofuro, which denoted people who were male assigned, but they identified and expressed themselves as women, and they could be taken as wives to other men. Until the white men came into our shores and taught us that that was somewhat of a scene and aberration, we somehow lost track of the very truth of who we are as Africans. Uganda, which is one of the most homophobic countries right now, had the King Mwanga II, who happened to to love other men. Prior to colonialism, this was a man who loved other men and he was a king, and he was respected and revered, and nobody called in, um, him with derogatory names. He was accepted as a king who loved other men for his own sexual partners. So I feel that we reclaim um, the truth about the origins and the diversity that has always been a part of the origins, and move away from being told that there is only a binary way in which human beings are, and such everything else that falls out that. Is, is is
0: is that Absolutely. Thank you, Ricky and Diamond.
2: Oh God, liberation for me is just um instead of just us trying to survive, we are actually thriving in abundance. Without the barriers, I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to go see Ricky. I want to be able to go see Audrey. I want to be able to, without the barriers, without the barriers of um, colonization, without the barriers of money being a problem, without the barriers of my gender creating um, obstacles for me. With I want I want to be able to find a husband. I want to be able to find love and love freely in a way without my my other my significant other having barriers and problems and all the things just for loving me and seeing. Who I am. I want to be able to thrive in anything that I want to do that makes me happy. That's what's liberation to me. I want racism to stop. I want sexism to stop. I want massage noir to stop. I want all the things that are barriers and hurdles for me that has been long-standing hurdles for me and my ancestors. I want them all to be down so we can thrive in abundance. That is what liberation is for me.
0: And thank you very much, y'all. And so we um, thank you for this very liberating conversation we all do the show thank you all for coming in in your various time zones we appreciate it and this is another episode of Black Diplomats
1: thank you
2: thank you darlings bye
0: bye thanks for tuning in to Black Diplomats we especially want to shout out our patrons if you like this episode please become a patron at the link in the episode notes. Also, rate and subscribe to Black Diplomats on your favorite podcast platform. The intro and outro music is brought to you by my fellow Detroiter, Tall Black Guy.